Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us. My name is Tim Gritty. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And Lou, this uh, discussion this morning is always deep and serious and and uh, quite reserved because Chris Peel, who is a noted economist and our senior correspondent on the economy and the credit manager's index report, is always so serious when he speaks with us. Yeah, I was yes, wondering if I you know. were going to get to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, serious I'm really well, I, I've trained him well. As an economist, our job is to spout enough jargon and meaningless phrases that people stop paying attention after a while, and then we can say whatever we want. So. <laughs> there you go, Chris. Thank you. And then in the future... <laughs> Then in the future, when they say that, well, you didn't tell us that. Now you didn't understand me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, please look at the chart with seven thousand graph lines, and you'll clearly see that you know every eventuality was accounted for. <laughs> that being said, that being said, I'm going to jump start right into this. The January numbers for uh, a credit managers index was uh, quite uh, quite healthy. I know, I know. It's almost tough for an economist to admit, um, but yeah, they were quite strong. And yeah, it's almost like we have nothing more, to talk about. I know, you know. I mean, we can just spend the entire time discussing, you know, the rosy future we can all expect, but that would be inappropriate for an economist. I always have to find <laughs> the, you know, dark cloud behind the silver lining. So, but yeah, the CMI was uncharacteristically. Well, I can't really say that. It's been better than not for the last several months and it's been doing it for much the same reason every month so that in itself is encouraging I mean sometimes we get these anomalous months where you know one or two of the data points kind of go nuts and, and we're like wow that looks really good and then we follow that up with but um, we're not really seeing it universally but this time we're seeing pretty good performance in both the favorable and unfavorable categories, which is always good. And we're also seeing in pretty good numbers in both manufacturing and service. Often it's one or the other, and, and this time they're both responding pretty well. The manufacturing part is the most encouraging because in every, almost every other respect, if you look at the data now, manufacturing is in recession and we're like okay this would be nice if the cmi holds its usual pattern which is to kind of predict what's going to happen in the next month or two so can we be cautiously optimistic that manufacturing will start to leave some of that recessionary behavior behind but then we always have reasons to get worried again so we can talk about those later too well, the our timing today is uh, just about an hour off. Uh, the ISM uh, comes out in about uh, about an hour from now, so we're we're be careful of what you say because it could be uh, stated as completely wrong. So uh, well, unless you want to sit here for an hour. Before. 
yeah, yeah. That never stopped me before, so it won't stop me now. Um, Yeah, the (laughs) predictions for the PMI have been that it will be better than it was the month before, uh, but still probably in contraction territory, still a little under 50. I mean, the good news is that it's been down for five months, but it hasn't continued to sink. Uh, So it's right there close to the 50 line that separates contraction from expansion. And that's not necessarily great news, but it's not awful news. You know, what frequently happens, and we've seen it with the CMI too, is that when it begins to go down, it doesn't stop. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until it turns. And what we're seeing now is kind of what the CMI did a few months ago, where it dipped, but it didn't dip all that much. And then it stayed pretty stable until it started to come back up a bit. So I'm I'm hoping that that's what the PMI numbers turn out to be. Um, but at this point, all we can do is hope. And wait for another hour. And wait for another hour. Yeah, that's, right, that's, right. that's the nature, nature of the beast. More data, more data. That's the mantra so, of an economist. So the fact that we're an hour away from uh, the new ISM number, do you want to make a, a, a firm prediction uh, up or down? Yeah, I think it'll be slightly up. Um, what I've seen are numbers. Slightly up. Four, yeah, slightly up, like 48-something, you know, almost to 49. Um, last month it was 47.5, I think. So coming up about a point, so that would be my, my guess at this point. I won't, even, I won't even make it sound more formal and say it's an estimate. It's a guess. So we'll leave it. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought all of this was a guess. <laughs> well, it is, but we we try to fudge it with some of them. It's like no, it's an estimate. It, it's our assessment. No, it's a guess. Well, we'll see how it turns out in an hour, and then we can quote you uh, based on That's how the right. number comes out. <laughs> exactly. It'll probably be like you know seventy six or something, and I'll be like, oh well, I missed that one. <laughs> Well, 76, no one's going to be reading about it because they're going to be jumping out of the windows. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, that's going in the right direction. If it hits 76, they're all going to be out popping champagne going, Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, 76, I forgot. If it was 26, they'd be jumping out of windows. Right, right, right. Okay. So, Chris, the IHS market, uh, report that comes out. Uh, the last one was on January 24th. And for the last couple of months, it has been in net positive territory. Mm-hmm. I don't understand nuances behind those two reports, one from IHS and one from ISM, to know why the disparity between the two. Do you Are you familiar with it? Yeah, part of the there's two things going on with the difference between the two. The IHS will release a preliminary report before their final report. So they'll do they'll do one and that's the one that's been quoted that's probably 80% of the respondents. And so then they do the real one, which is timed to be pretty much the same time as the ISM. IHS started doing that sort of to get some press attention apart from the ISM index because they were both coming out at the same time. The one thing that makes it a little bit weaker and, and a little less accurate is that 
generally speaking, when you're collecting these responses to the questionnaire, the people who are having a good month respond right away, and the people who are not having a good month tend to delay their responses. And so they're collecting 80%, which tend to be more optimistic. The 20% that are less optimistic don't show up until the final report. And so it's frequently the case that their preliminary number is a little higher than the final number. The other thing that differentiates the two is the size of the organizations that they poll. Um, ISM tends to focus a little bit more on the small to mid-sized market, and IHS is a little bit more towards the larger firms, not drastically different, but enough that it will sometimes affect their numbers. Is the IHS pool of companies that they survey larger, smaller, or the same as ISM? It's a little bit smaller um, than the ISM, but they kind of make up for it because IHS does the global ones. Um, so all the other PMIs that they're doing all over the country, those are all over the world. Those are IHS collections. Um, ISM is, is strictly the U.S. And as a result, a little more accurate when it comes to the U.S. numbers, but they don't have the same global perspective that IHS has. We understand that uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Net is coming out with their own uh, index uh, mm-hmm. and, cl- and claiming that they've got uh, more of a handle of valid information from the manufacturing sector because one, their uh, pool of contributors is much bigger. And um, number two, uh, they are in the manufacturing sector and all of their people are in the manufacturing sector. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the Thomas Index is going to wind up producing. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges with any of these, whether it's IHS or Thomas or us or anybody else, is you've got to get the participants to fill out the information. And that's the ongoing challenge is getting companies to take the time to fill out the information and submit it to you. So the more participation you get, the better. The weakness with any of these surveys is that you have, well, there's two weaknesses. One, you don't get enough people to participate or you don't get people to participate consistently so that every month, you've got sort of a different set of respondents, so you're not necessarily comparing one month to the next as accurately as you would like. I mean, ideally, everybody would participate, and they would do it every month, and you'd have this this very, very reliable data. But every so often, you'll get these anomalous readings, and it usually comes down to the fact that one sector is not participating as much as they used to, or you have companies that are not engaged. I think the advantage Thomas will have is that their member, their their respondents are going to be perhaps a little more willing to participate because it's coming from a manufacturing organization. But you've also seen um, versions of the purchasing managers index from banks, governments do it. Um, You've got different marketing. I mean, IHS market, market was a marketing 
firm, and IHS essentially merged with or took over uh, that particular index, and it all just comes down to getting people to play. Chris, is there anything else you want to sum up on the uh, CMI report before we uh, trash the economy in general? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think the the most interesting information that came out of the CMI at this time was <clears throat> kind of the the improvement on the non-favorable side. I mean, we've been looking at good favorable numbers for a couple of years now. I mean, they've been up into the high 50s and 60s, and, and frankly, anything over 54 or 55 is good news, and you cannot worry about it. Where we had concerns were in those non-favorable things like bankruptcies and accounts out for collection and disputes and slow pays and all that. For this last report, all of them were in expansion territory. All of them had gone positive, and we had not seen that, I think, literally for three years. And there had always been one or two that would be signaling distress, and some months they were all in the 40s. What that signals to me is, is three things. One, you're seeing companies recover, and they're doing better than they had been in previous years, and so their numbers are better. Number two, you're seeing companies try to go into 2020 kind of in better shape as far as their credit is concerned. So we've seen a reduction in slow pays. People are paying on time. We've seen an increase in dollar collections as a result, so companies are paying their their creditors and doing it promptly. And we're seeing less of the sort of stall tactics that we used to see, which is where the disputes come in. The third thing, I think, is that the weakest of the companies are now gone. So when you go back and you look at where the negative numbers were coming from, it's like, oh, look, we're not getting any more negative numbers from this sector. Yeah, that's because they're actually out of business now. And <laughs> so they're, they're not actually filling out the forms because, hey, I'm not in business anymore. I can leave these stinking forms to somebody else. So we've had enough carnage in some of these sectors that it has the ones that are still standing are in pretty decent shape. Now, we've seen that more on the service side than in manufacturing because retail, as we all know by now, has been taking a lot of hits the last few years. And if you look at where all the big bankruptcies have been and all the big, you know, it's in retailers and the malls are in trouble and, you know, one department store after another is shutting down and closing and all that stuff. So that those guys are now off the books and it's like, Hey, retail numbers look better. <laughs> That's because the <laughs> wounded are all dead now. Um, so. <laughs> so how was the retail season in uh, particularly the holiday season in 2019? Good, bad, indifferent? <clears throat> well, it was kind of right in the middle because there are three things the retailers want to see happen. One is early on in the season, they're paying a lot of attention to traffic. They want to make sure a lot of people are in their stores. Then they start looking at revenue. Um, How much money are these people spending? And then at the end of the day, they want to figure out profit. How much money did we actually make? Traffic numbers were good. Revenue numbers were good. Profit was not. And what was happening was that consumers 
were coming in reacting to the discounts and the sales and therefore they were coming into the store and they were buying those things but those are all loss leaders the retailers were hoping that once people were in the store they would buy other stuff they didn't Uh, we shopped like commandos we went in we bought the discounted item and bolted for the door and did the rest of our shopping online so the retailers like great we sold all the cheap stuff and nothing else. <laughs> so we and now we're stuck people, the other stuff. Yeah, and lots of people, lots of money. We didn't make any profit. So maybe that's why Macy's has decided to close twenty-five more stores. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's why Macy's is closing stores. That's why J.C. Penney's is on its last legs. That's why you're seeing, you know, stores that were just absolutely booming a few years ago, Forever 21's gone bankrupt. I mean, it's just one after the other of these stores. And even the ones that used to be the picture of health are just kind of hanging on by their fingernails. And it's it's very difficult to compete with the Amazon and the Wayfair juggernauts. I mean, it's just you know, how do you beat the selection and convenience? And once people got used to using online, it's just, you know, I mean, I lament the loss of activity and I hear from cities that worry about their sales tax revenue and all this sort of stuff. And I have to sheepishly look at my feet because it's like, well, I haven't been to a mall in 10 years, you know, it's just, (laughs) you know, I just shop online and it's like, okay, I know I should go to the, brick and mortar to support my local merchant but I can't find what I want there anyway and it's so much easier to do it from my desk so you're very true I've done the same thing I I don't know that I can tell you the last time I was in a mall it, it might be a yeah. decade more. Yeah. So, you know, there's, another, there's another factor about the malls uh, some people are afraid to go to the malls because That's of gun true. violence yeah, exactly. And so some people are afraid of malls just because it's it's just full of, of you know millennials and Gen Z, and they're just scary all by themselves. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if it has a movie house, I'll uh, I'll go to the mall. Yeah, that that's exactly right. You know, it's like it's that's ninety percent of the time. It's like if I find myself in a shopping district, it's like well, I'm going to the coffee shop or I'm going to the movie but even there i mean the movie industry entertainment it's just you know i sit and think about it and it's like eh, i got netflix what am i thinking (laughs) (laughs) i think the the movie the irishman was really the the true beginning of the decline of the movie industry as Mm -hmm. an industry Um, yeah it's it's uh you know netflix uh uh, came out in the movies, and now they're, they're, they had some huge, huge amount of money revenue generated by that movie, and uh, mostly online. Right, exactly, and and it's just we've all had the experience, and I had one not too long ago of shelling out fifty, sixty bucks for a movie that was really, really bad, <laughs> and you're like, wow. I could have done so much more with that money. Um, but <clears throat> so there's three hours I'll never get back. Well, that movie yeah. must have been Barton Fink. <laughs> I no, rate all no, bad even, movies to Barton Fink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have my standards, too. And this, this may start to become my my 
my shorthand. It's like I, if you haven't inflicted the movie Ad Astra on yourself, don't. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, my God. I mean, I've now decided that for entertainment next summer, I'm just going to go out to some building site and watch Concrete Harden. Um, and <laughs> the suspense will kill me. So. <laughs> yeah, clearly. So, Chris, what does, as we are now in 2020, and we talked about it frequently at the end of 2019, how's the economy doing in general? Well, I think we're in pretty good shape to start the year. Um, the expectation is that this is going to be one of those years that kind of has two halves, where the first half will be better than the second half. A couple of things that have become an issue that weren't an issue even two or three weeks ago. For one, it's the coronavirus. I mean, no one quite yet knows what kind of impact that's going to have on the world economy, but you've already seen, for example, the oil producers, OPEC and Russia, and you know, even North Dakota and Texas, declining oil production because they expect demand to be down, um, if for no other reason that China's manufacturing sector is is going to be stalled. Um, The area that's been affected most in China is heavy manufacturing, and there's already severe travel limitations and all the rest of that, and it could get a lot worse if it continues to spread. The second thing that has kind of appeared and is not unexpected, but you've got the election year, which makes people nervous. You know, they don't know what to expect if the election is as close as it likely is, is to be. Well, no one really knows what the, the next step is. There will be a certain amount of, of relaxation once we know for sure who the Democratic candidate is. But if you spin out some of the scenarios, the business community in particular is going, really? Sanders versus Trump? Oh my God! You know what? What are we going to do? And so it it just makes people uneasy, and that's going to manifest in third quarter for sure. So I think we're we're starting off in in pretty good shape. The consumer is still confident. Unemployment rates are still low. The housing market has started to recover. Um, the one weak spot is manufacturing. One thing that could boost manufacturing is if we finally figure out what's going on with Boeing and they get back to reasonable production because we forget how big aerospace is to our economy and it's been shut down for a year. And if if we finally figure out how to get those planes back in the air, there'll be a nice boom as as the airlines try to catch up and bring the new planes on. Well, just a couple of comments that I'd like to throw at you. Uh, Over the weekend, our Secretary of Commerce, uh, Wilbur Ross, made an astounding comment about the fact that uh, the coronavirus is good for American jobs Um, without any any real comment about uh, the tragedy of what's happening there. uh, The jobs will come back to America. Meanwhile, we don't have enough people. Uh, he forgot to look at his own numbers. Uh, as it is, we have more jobs now than we have people to fill them. Uh, that's right. number one. Number two, I did. Uh, I saw a, a, a byline about uh, Boeing 737 Max that they 
they claim to be picking up by mid-year. Um, right. And so that's a that's a good piece of trivia also. Looking yeah, I think it's that. important to note that they're they're obviously working diligently to figure out what the problems are. And I think what's what's interesting about this is this has now gone far beyond some software glitch in, in the plane. It's basically been kind of a revamping of how airliners are put together and, and the processes and all the rest of that stuff. So the good news is that once this is done, we will, as consumers, probably be flying on the safest airplanes we've flown on for the last 50 years. And when it comes to the comments by Ross, it's just, it's it's mind numbing in its stupidity because in the first place it's it's a morally reprehensible position to take but beyond that it's failing to understand for the umpteenth time that we live in a global economy there are other countries and at least 15 percent of our gdp is dependent on exports we're going to get new trade data this week and the deficit, which was improving last month, is likely to be reversing and getting worse this month. And it's not because we're importing more, which we're not. We're not going to be exporting as much because the world economy is slowed. We don't sell that much to China. Well, this is true, but we sell to countries that sell to China. And if China is in recession, then they're not buying from Australia or Indonesia or South Korea or Taiwan or Vietnam or India or anybody else. Those are all countries we sell to. And so it's it's kind of impoverishing your client or your customer is generally not a good business practice. So I wish we had a different commerce secretary, to put it bluntly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am really, <laughs> I'm really thrilled that we're not talking politics, or at least that I'm yeah, not talking aren't politics. You? <laughs> aren't you? I am. It's, I am. Like, I just it's, slipped it's like, it what in can on I say? you. You know, you're catching me in a, in a particularly cocky and good mood because, hey, I'm from Kansas City, and the cardiac chiefs did it again. Um, it's like. It's great rooting for a team that apparently doesn't really realize it's in a football game until the fourth quarter, and and then says, "Oh, were we supposed to score points? Well, darn! Why didn't you tell us before?" <laughs> Up till then, they were just taking care and nurturing the football. Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, they're just kind of, you know, they just thought it was like a scrimmage or practice, or you know, it's like it's like what? Oh yeah, there's a game. What the heck? <laughs> well, they sure took off in the fourth quarter. But, you know, they always do. You know, it's just it's one of these things where it's just I guess they just have the attitude that they have to wait until they can make it interesting. Well, it's like basketball. Don't bother watching a game. Just watch the last five minutes. Yeah, exactly. That's all I exactly. watch. <laughs> it's where it all happens, and, the last five minutes. Absolutely. And here you thought I wasn't a sports guy. <laughs> <laughs> we knew secretly. We knew secretly. Right. It's I'm a closet sports guy. Steel. Yeah, I mean, you follow <laughs> women's field hockey, but, you know. So. Right, right. And tennis. <laughs> exactly. Which so, Lou so, used to play, so he understands the game. I certainly don't. 
<laughs> yeah, I did until I until I ran into a fence, and that was the end of my <laughs> career in tennis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what's going to yeah, happen you, in the sec- like second half of this uh, world? Well, I think what we're going to see in the second half is is not really a collapse by any stretch. I don't think we're heading for a recession or even anything close to it. We're probably going to be looking at 2% growth, maybe a little lower than that, which is certainly respectable compared to a lot of other countries. The real issue in the second half of the year is going to be first transcending the politics and calming down from all that. Number two is kind of hoping that the rest of the world begins to see a little bit of a recovery. Um, maybe you'll see that in in Europe. There's a few now that they have dealt with Brexit and it's it's all over except the fine tuning there's a possibility that Europe will start to get its act together. And that would be good for us because we're, we sell an awful lot to them. Um, they're our major trade partners outside of Canada and Mexico. But then the third thing I think will be whether the consumer is still in a pretty good mood, which I think they probably will be, and will probably drive another halfway decent retail year. Okay. I was going to ask about, uh, about Europe because we hadn't quite touched on that yet. Right. Uh, all of those economies are struggling, and and I'm thrilled that they finally did something definitive on Brexit. I didn't really care right. which way it went; just finish it something. So well, it puts them in that, the position now to to move on to what is next because what happens at this stage is. Britain is going to find a way to do trade deals separate from the European Union. And they're going to want to do something with the Europeans. They want to do something with us. They want to do something with the Commonwealth nations. None of those are going to be easy. I mean, the trade deal with the United States keeps being discussed. But the challenge is that the British economy is just like ours. It's a manufacturing economy. So what they want to sell is the same stuff we make. Um, We want to sell them agricultural goods, but the British are very protective of their farms. So it's going to be hard to figure out what we buy from one another um, any more than we do now. The British would like to have a trade relationship similar to that of Norway. Norway is not a member of the EU, but they have a trade agreement with the EU, and the British would love to do something similar. The challenge is is that Norway isn't a very big economy, and it doesn't really bother the Europeans. Britain is still the number five economy in the world, and the Europeans are kind of reluctant to give them a lot of breaks if they're not also a member of, of the club. Britain's going to be counting a lot on Australia, Canada, India, the Commonwealth countries, and hopefully can can develop that. But the estimate is, is that their decline will be maybe negative four points on GDP, which is taking it into depression territory rather than just recession. Let's talk for a moment about uh, the Canadian-U.S. trade deal that was just mm-hmm. recently signed. Uh, can you give us some insight to it? I, I don't believe that most of uh, Americans, uh, particularly manufacturers, really understand 
where where's the benefit? What what happens? It's been kind of yeah, kept under a, under the rug. A little bit, yeah, because it was by the time we ended up passing it, it had to have elements that satisfied both Republicans and Democrats um, to just to get through Congress. It didn't really change NAFTA rules much. Um, most of the adjustment was around domestic content um, when it comes to the auto industry. But it's important to remember that domestic meant all three countries. So as long as the manufacturing is in Mexico, the U.S., or Canada, it counts as domestic. The main focus or target was the stuff that was coming in from Europe and Asia. So we'll see a little less competition from those countries, but we'll still have a lot of manufacturing taking place outside the U.S. in Mexico. The big change for the Mexicans particularly was demanding more environmental laws be enforced and more labor laws being enforced and allowing the U.S. to kind of figure into that that conversation. But that sort of matches up with where the Mexican government is right now because it's currently being led by a left of center president that was pushing for that anyway. Um, we are probably going to see a little more trade with Canada, uh, a little bit more in terms of both agriculture and oil. Um, most of the manufacturing in Canada is connected to the U.S. already. Um, they're companies that just literally manufacture across the border from each other. Um, the big changes will probably be more more export from Mexico into the U.S. in areas that the U.S. is, is declining in. We've seen a lot more agricultural activity in Mexico because it's gotten expensive or otherwise difficult to do in the U.S. And this goes back to immigration. Um, a lot of the labor-intensive agriculture you really can't do in the U.S. very effectively now, and that's shifting it into Mexico, avocados, tomatoes, onions, things of that nature. So, so salsa, you know, that's become a critical thing. <laughs> <laughs> Big product, that's right. Really important. That's right. So, Chris, as we wrap this segment up, and we always appreciate you joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio, any final words of wisdom to share with our listeners as they look at the next 30, 60, 90 days? Yeah, I think the the watchword for me lately has just been cautious optimism. Um, things are not in a bad shape right now. So when I talk to companies and give talks, it's like I said, don't, panic there's no recession around the corner there's no big inflation surge around the corner what we are running into is just a period where there is a little more uncertainty and now would be a good time to be not not rejecting the idea of adding new machinery and people and territories just to be careful a um, few years back we could be a little bit reckless and try things even if we weren't sure it was going to turn out now it would be yeah do a little more due diligence and if it looks at all hinky don't do it right now so it's, <laughs> it's just a it's just kind of be a little careful go into a prevent defense since we talked about football before you know 
<laughs> you don't want really bad things to happen, just little bad things. <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate it. Lou, any uh, additional comments you want to toss in on uh, either the economy or our upcoming shows or what the Jacket Media uh, Company is doing? Well, let's talk about Wilbur Ross again. He's one of my favorite people. I'm only kidding. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about him. Uh, we do have. We are making lots of forward moves this coming year at, uh, at Jacket Media Co., uh, which is our umbrella company, which uh, stores our five podcasts: Manufacturing Talk Radio, uh, Wham, Women and uh, Manufacturing, Manufacturing Matters, Where's Willie, and uh, Full Time with Amy. Uh, and we have a couple of other uh, bubbles cooking uh, that you may see us uh, with a couple of more podcasts uh, uh, later on in the year. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we have done, we're doing something unusual this year. We're trying to not self fund this anymore. So if anybody's interested in advertising or corporate sponsorships, uh, uh, kindly uh, give us a holler, and you'll, we'll make a deal you can't refuse. So that and, being and you said, left out the, the new the new podcast you were talking about, the wit and wisdom of Wilbur Ross. I, you know, <laughs> you know, that's a great idea, and we can have him on uh, every month. Right. Every time that's he right. says something that's of any unique importance, we'll do it as an irregular show. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Okay. You're going to have to get one of those uh, start, uh, cardiac starter packs and put it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay. So he can give himself <laughs> self-shocks as Wilbur Ross comments. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you much, Chris, uh, for being here. You're, uh, you're a funny man. You're funny as usual. Uh, filled with all kinds of facts, figures, and important things, and some not so important. Uh, so More again, the we'll, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to be political. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so we'll <laughs> we'll be catching you next month, uh, and hopefully the numbers are keep getting stronger and stronger. Tim, very good. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Great. Bye. Thanks, Chris. And we've been speaking with Dr. Chris Keel, who is. A managing partner with Armada Corporate Intelligence, he is also the chief economist for the uh, Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, and he does work for lots of other companies and associations in studying the economy and breaking it down, not just into intelligent terms, but kind of fun ones as well. So we always enjoy having Chris on our show. And in about two weeks, he's going to be appearing at the uh, Las Vegas Hilton uh, to do his uh, one-week show there. So that should be very interesting to uh, go see an economist doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. That's a joke, folks. He's not there. I'm only kidding. Uh, but he is a funny man, and we enjoy him tremendously. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, we would encourage all of our listeners to go to mfgtalkradio.com to listen to all of our shows that are stored there now, over 400 and growing. And you can also find links to the other podcasts that Jacket Media Company produces. And we appreciate, as always, you listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. 
You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.